again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. We've had another race weekend come and go. It was at the iconic Spa Circuit in Belgium. So, unfortunately, though, we didn't get the exciting, I suppose, race that we wanted. Lawrence Edmondson is here with me for this one. Nate Saunders is missing out because he had some um, very important business to attend to in terms of his NFL fantasy draft. Lawrence, apparently that's a... That's a proper excuse to miss work these days, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm surprised actually because I'm also in a fantasy league with a few people from F1 and we don't feel the need to take off a whole evening <laughs> when you're meant to be recording a podcast, but no, he does. Um, but no, he takes it very seriously and uh, I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying that he won three years ago, came last two years ago and then won again last year. So he's kind of on a roll, kind of going from the very top to the very bottom. So uh, we wish him well. And I, I, apparently the draft is very important. So uh, good luck to him. Apparently it is because he told us this a couple of days ago and I just saw fantasy draft. And I mean, I really don't know anything about NFL. I lived in the States for four years and I still don't know anything about NFL. But I thought he was talking about something else. I don't know. I just saw fantasy and, I, and my head went elsewhere. So let's try not to go down that rabbit hole. Nate it is fantasy draft. But um, at least you're here. At least you don't care about your fantasy team that much, apparently. Or or maybe you're just, you know, there's not as much at stake as what Nate kind of did explain to us. But like we said, let's talk all about Spa, what we saw today. It wasn't the, the fireworks that we were expecting. I know I, for one, was expecting rain based on the forecast and was hoping that would add some excitement to it. But in the end, it was pretty much the same old storyline. Lewis Hamilton once again crossing that finish line in first. Valtteri Bottas second and Max Verstappen third. But there still are a couple of stories here and there that we actually want to get to before we talk about Lewis being Lewis once again. And one that actually set Nate off. And even though he is missing out and he's being a fantasy draft guru at the moment, he did still send in a little question and an interesting one for Lawrence too. So let's have a listen. Hey guys, sorry I can't be on the pod. Uh, NFL draft in this league that I'm in is serious business and I'm sure a lot of people listening will understand what I'm uh, talking about. Um, I just wanted to throw one thing into the ring. Bit of a grenade I'm going to throw in for the show uh, to kick you guys off. Does Lawrence think Mattia Bonotto, Ferrari's boss, will see out the season? I don't see any reason, any justifiable reason that he can stay in that job. And I think that Ferrari really just has to kind of like almost reboot completely, just kind of destroy everything, burn it down and just start again. We know they're not going to be competitive. We know that this performance is one of the lowest ebbs they've been on for ages. And there's got to be someone held accountable. And Mattia Bonotto seems like the guy. Wow, goodness me, I love me some fantasy draft, Nate. He's all pumped up and, and saying these massive proclamations. They'll be burning down Ferrari or Maranello and starting from scratch. But um, probably let's not go that far just yet, especially that is a brilliant question on Mattia Binotto because, Lawrence, as we were saying, week in, week out from before the season even started, we predicted struggles for Ferrari. And every week we keep going, how much worse can it get? And we've seen it get worse mainly for Sebastian Vettel, and we've still seen Charles Leclerc at least be the breath of fresh air and that silver lining where he's almost managed to have this car outperform all the expectations. But this weekend, surely what we saw from even yesterday, from Friday to Saturday to today, this has to be rock bottom, wasn't it? Yeah, it does seem that way. And um, 
it's really down to the nature of the circuit. It really exposed all the weaknesses that Ferrari have and the main key weakness, which is its lack of power. And uh, we told this story before on this podcast. Uh, we've written about it all year. And essentially, the FIA looked into uh, the legality of Ferrari's engine over the winter based on what they were running last year and previous years. And they came to a secret settlement with Ferrari. And uh, part of that settlement has clearly um, meant that Ferrari have had to change the engine. They've had to take some things off it. They've had to change the way they've run it. And as a result, they don't have uh, as much power as they used to have. But this is a real knock-on effect. Now, now we know that Spa is one of those circuits where you need power. That's obvious. You only have to look at the layout, the straights, uh, to figure that out. But the other thing that was happening here is that um, because they're so down on power, they had to remove a lot of downforce from the car, run a very skinny uh, rear wing just to have semi-competitive uh, top end speeds at the end of the Kemmel straight so they weren't getting overtaken by everyone. Now we still saw that that was a real weakness for them in the race so you had the situation where because they're so far down on power they have to remove all the downfalls from the car and because they had to remove all the downfalls from the car the tyres weren't working properly and then that is a downward spiral of performance uh, that came together so um, it's really uh, kind of well it, it's really you know the, the uh, chickens coming home to roost here this is, this is all of the uh, uh, stuff that they got caught doing over the winter they had to change uh, this is it you know really kind of showing uh, to its greatest extent the, uh, the the impact it's had on on performance and it seems that in that time when they had this uh, very powerful engine they were really neglecting maybe some of the um, basic kind of aerodynamics and chassis development and stuff that should have been there because they had this monster of a power unit to push them push them along and to rely on and as soon as that got whipped away it's just exposed so many weaknesses in this car um and so that's why uh people like nate are so angry because it it, it seems to have come down to an element of mismanagement uh mm -hmm. toto wolf even had a slight dig at mm -hmm. uh bonotto it's clear that um mercedes were very unhappy with what was going on last year. Uh, they felt that it kind of pushed them to extremes this year. Uh, it pushed some of their staff to extremes, trying to find performance from their engine. And you know, and, and they're genu generally upset because this is a um, you know this is a sport which you have a set of regulations and you kind of go into them. And of course, you try and find grey areas, but you go into them, you know, expecting everyone to play into the same rules. And it seems like Ferrari may not have been doing that in the past. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of kind of. Um, but really, I mean, the people this is harming the most right now is Ferrari because uh, they are now fifth in the constructor standings and they're only two points ahead of Renault, who had a very good weekend. Uh, and uh, yeah, they're only two points ahead of them and they, they could drop to six, you know, quite easily by, you know, by the end of this run of races. And, you know, this has already been um, an unprecedented season, a, a frustrating season, I suppose, in the sense that, you know, it took a while for us to even just get a season. Um, so where does this leave... I suppose the drivers. Last thing we want is even more frustration for Seb Vettel because we already know that situation is borderline, if not already toxic. Charles Leclerc, though, you know, things have been all good in the hood there for him, but surely today must have, you know, hit him extra hard too. And, and I remember even after qualifying, just hearing him and Sebastian talk, and it was almost like they they had already resigned to the fact that it was going to be a struggle. But what did they say, I suppose, after the race or in the press conference that probably might shed the light of how they may be feeling of, you know, I suppose, limping across the finish line for the rest of the season now? So the drivers afterwards were actually quite well behaved in what they said. You know, they didn't drop any clangers. They didn't um, leave <laughs> Bonotto uh, worrying about his job, maybe, uh, like Nate was trying to do. Um, but... <laughs> 
they um but i think where the cracks are shown is in the race because we've heard again and again the team radio uh how much questioning there is from the cockpit to the pit wall about what's going on and of course ferrari are in one of those situations uh for a formula one team where if you don't have a car that's performing you have to look to alternative strategies to sometimes quite outlandish uh, ideas in terms of what you're doing with the tires and, and what you're doing elsewhere um to, to to try and get a result and so that's what um ferrari faced again and and yeah we heard charles leclerc questioning when he was told oh you might have to do plan b or plan c and he was like well wait a minute those two plans are quite separate they're quite different uh you have to tell me to do one or the other otherwise i'm going to end up you know kind of if we want to do plan b and i start on plan c then you know we're going to be in trouble so um, the other strange thing is that they were the only team outside of the top 10 to start on soft tyres. Uh, the rest of the grid had basically decided that the soft tyres were junk after a few laps, so they, they didn't want to use them, they wanted to stay away from them. Obviously, the top 10 or some of the top 10 had to use it because of the way qualifying works. And But yeah, Ferrari had gone on this, uh, this strange strategy. But again, I, I think they're just clutching at straws. They're just trying to find something. But more often than not, it's just um, exposing these cracks that are clearly there at the team. And, uh, and it's not surprising because this time last year, they won at Spa. Charles Leclerc won his first race with Ferrari. And now he's finishing uh, 14th and Seb is 13th. So, you know, that, that, that says it all. And, and if there is frustration there, it's completely justified. Well, I suppose you, you shudder to think just how much worse these things can get. And I know that is literally the question that we do ask every week. And so far, it has gotten absolutely worse. So I suppose let's just take Nate's point now in the sense that where does Ferrari go from here? I mean, even though we're not advocating for them to burn down Maranello and start from scratch, you do feel like there is a sense of needing to start from ground zero once again. And whether or not that should or will involve Mattia Binotto. Nate, of course, asking you if you think that he should resign. Um, I suppose let's just start there, Lawrence. Do you think that his job is under threat any at all? Or will people start to be asking that question? Well, I mean, people are definitely asking that question. It was asked to Mattia himself uh, by the Sun journalist Ben Hunt in Ferrari's press conference. Uh, and he said, well, it's not for him to decide. Obviously, he's there. He's going to do the best job he can. And uh, he's, he's, you know confident that he's still the right person to do it but I think the problem that it creates and I can kind of understand where Nate's coming from is that the guy who was in control of the engine department when they first started down that route um, of trying to find every single way of getting extra performance was uh, Mattia Bonotto then he became the technical director at a time when clearly they prioritized engine performance and neglected maybe some of you know the chassis and aero stuff which has been shown up now and now he's a team principal. So I, I can't speak for the people at Ferrari, but I know if I was in that team, I would be wondering, well, you know, is this the right guy? Because he's led us down a path which has essentially got Ferrari into this uh, this cul-de-sac of, 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 you know, lost performance because they're not allowed to update the engine from a performance point of view this year under the regulations. That was part of the kind of post or the COVID rules package uh, to try and help save money is that you're not allowed to throw money at performance on the engine. So they're stuck there until um, the start of next year. And then uh, they're also limited on what they can do with chassis. And you're essentially taking this chassis into next year. So all of the problems and the faults that have kind of, you know, developed on this chassis, uh, which was designed for a, a much more powerful engine in the first place, are going to be carried over to next year as well. So I don't see a way out of it um, until the uh, complete reset of the regulations in 2022. And actually, I mean, that was my question to Mattia after the race was, you know, what happens next? How do you get out of this? You know, mm-hmm. assuming you're the guy that's leading it forward, uh, what's coming up? 
and uh, and how are you going to solve it? And uh, the connection, as always with Ferrari, wasn't great. <laughs> so uh, I, I missed part of the answer. But the bit I did hear is that, you know, obviously we're stuck with the engine we got. So um, we're looking to 2021 and he said 2022. So a lot of Ferrari's messaging right now is that, yeah, we, we are looking to 2022. But, you know, for a team like Ferrari with um, that name, that brand in the sport to spend uh, this season looking like lower midfield runners, probably a similar situation next year they got beaten by one of their customer teams today Alfa Romeo Kimi Raikkonen finished ahead of the two Ferraris on pace there was no kind of weird situation going there okay Leclerc had some issues but still you know it, it's just not good enough and um, that's why people like Nate like Ben are asking these <laughs> questions uh, of, of Mattia and what's going to happen um, if I, I I don't really see happening because the other problem with uh you know, removing the team principal, burning down Maranello, so you've got to rebuild it, and you, you've got to, you got to, you got to have somebody who's uh, capable of doing that. And um, you know, I, you look at the recent changes they've had at Ferrari; they've brought a lot of guys from lower down up. But I don't think any of them are yet ready to make that step to be team principal. So um, it, it's a difficult one. Uh, but then, equally, if you no longer believe that Matera is the right guy, and if you, if the team has lost. It's confidence in Matia. Maybe it's time to get rid of him. But replacing uh, a team principal is not an easy job in Formula One. It's a uh, it's a very uh, important job as a figurehead of a team uh, to inspire. You know the designers further down. You know Matia doesn't design the car by any stretch, mm. uh, but he is the guy who puts everything in place, and he's the guy that the whole team looks up to and uh, and and takes uh, you know takes inspiration from. And that's where someone like Toto Wolff has done such a good job at Mercedes. And, uh, and yeah, Mattia needs to win back the trust and needs to prove that uh, they are making the right decisions uh, for 2022. But that just seems like such a long way away right now. Well, if we're not expecting, you know, Ferrari to, to compete with the rest, which is already, you know, a bit shocking to say, um, I suppose now for the rest of the season, they're just going to be looking to try some way to save face week in, week out. We look at the double headers that we're going to have now in Italy of all places where you do want to see a Ferrari shine. I mean, maybe it's a good thing that we won't be getting the fans there because it would absolutely break their hearts to witness this in person, I'm sure. Um, but with the way Ferrari are going, I know we do have our preview show that will come midweek where we look ahead to, to Monza, but it's almost like do we even go in depth for expectations for Ferrari when that comes because um, I know they were trying to ask come up a couple of the drivers just to see if they had a taste of um, the str or if they were expecting to struggle just as much come next weekend um, so what are you expecting from from them there at least in Monza because from what we've heard is that it's going to be another tough weekend for them yeah, so Monza, um, again, all you have to do is look at the layout of the track. It's another power circuit. So that's not good for Ferrari. The only thing which I think might help them a bit is that everyone will have to run these low downforce packages because you're, it's all about top speed. So that will obviously show them up uh, because everyone will be uh, you know, running low downforce, which means everyone... Uh, it's probably going to be going a lot faster than that down the straights. But Spa is a really challenging track because it demands both... you know the downforce in the corners and then the uh, or, you know uh, reducing drag on the straights so Spa was probably one of the diff most difficult challenges for a, for a team that, that's down on power but yeah I, I don't see them um, I can see them both finishing outside the top 10 again in Monza I, I think it's that bad Mugello which is Ferrari's 1000th race it's a they own that track. It's a race that has been put on the calendar to celebrate Ferrari's history in the sport. Oh, dear. Um, yeah, exactly. You know, that, that, that's a lot of pressure. 
Uh, and I think uh, Ferrari are planning on having some fans there, or at least some guests there, in 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 some kind of way. And you know, I, I don't think they're going to be treated to uh, to a great result. I, I I guess what we have to remember is that it wasn't that long ago that you know Charles Leclerc was dragging that car onto the podium. Mm. So um, we know that you know occasionally when uh, when they get things right and when the circuit suits them, they can mask some of the deficiencies. Uh, but yeah, all you have to do, like I said earlier, it, is look at their position in the championship, and um, you know, and that's a fair reflection of where where that team is right now. Uh, it is mid-table, it is fifth, and uh, could well be sixth, you know, fairly soon because all these tracks that really hurt Ferrari are actually great tracks for Renault. And Renault, I think you're going to see come up uh, the order a bit, um, as we saw with uh, Daniel Ricciardo and Esteban Ocon today. Well, I suppose we could change the tone then because once you mentioned Danny Ricardo, that's like an automatic smile right there. And it has been all doom and gloom for Ferrari. And oh, goodness me, sorry, Ferrari fans that are listening, but it doesn't look like it's going to get any easier this season. But hang in there because maybe 2022 is just around the corner, right, Lawrence? <laughs> but let's move on. Before we get into specifics, like I said, with about Danny Ricardo, I mean, just overall, again, we know Spa, it, it was an emotional week, of course, you know, given. Um, what happened last year and the death of Antoine Huber and then of course the fact that it is Spa it is such an iconic place as well and I think it was Lando Norris that even had um, said there's just something about racing a car at Spa that's just truly special for any motorsport either driver or just fan um, overall and I was saying I was waiting for the rain to see some wet weather god madness i suppose as you have said with lewis hamilton but he didn't even need the rain to win there in this one um but overall what did you think of the race it wasn't a classic was it um mm. it actually was an incredibly similar race to the first race we had at silverstone this year where you had an early safety car and that forced everyone mm -hmm. to go onto a set of tires to the end and that basically made it a race about tire management rather than kind of racing, you know, wheel to wheel. And, and that's a real shame, but the teams had no choice because if you didn't pit under that safety car, you'd be at such a disadvantage trying to come back through. Uh, you know, we saw Perez do that. We saw Gasly do that. Um, Gasly's hand was, or Toro Rosso, or, sorry, Alpha Tauri's hand was slightly forced mm -hmm. in, in, in that instance uh, because he started on the hard tyres. But um, yeah, we, we saw how damaging that was to a race. So they had no choice to do that, but in doing that, they then had to, you know, equal this life out of the tires, and then that doesn't make for great racing. So, and then we didn't have the tire blow up that we had at Silverstone <laughs> that actually kind of saved that weekend and, and gave us something to talk about. So it was, yeah, it was pretty much what that Silverstone race would have been, minus the, uh, yeah, minus the tire blow up. So not a great one, but again, hats off to, um, well, especially to Lewis because he just bossed Valtteri all weekend, all weekend, you know, in qualifying. He had half a second on him pretty much. And then in the race, you know, Valtteri was asking about using engine modes and stuff like that. Um, Mercedes are quite protective of that at the moment because of changes that are coming up. And, uh, and, and they're a bit worried about um, pushing the engines too hard too early in their, in, in their life cycle. And that's essentially for Valtteri's long-term gain because he doesn't want an, an engine failure in a race uh, in about five races time. But um, yeah, so, so, you know, we saw that and we saw Valtteri trying everything and still Lewis was a cut above so um congratulations to him but it doesn't make for the most exciting racing as we've seen so often this year when you have one car no matter who it is disappear at the front well i suppose this is the same old same old talking about lewis hamilton this might not make for the most exciting question but um it kind of does in a sense because i say that it is obvious now that it is looking like a two-horse race and i'm saying a two-horse race in the sense that it's lewis hamilton and michael schumacher's records and that is exactly what the race 
we're looking at. He's getting that much closer and to just fully cementing his name in history. Um, it's just, it's not even if right now, Lawrence. It's more that it's more like when, right? Yeah, and and the when I think it's probably going to be up Mugello because <laughs> uh, he's on eighty nine wins. Uh, Michael Schumacher's record is ninety one wins, and uh, I think he'll he'll match up Mugello because I think. Uh, the other teams are really going to struggle to beat Mercedes and Monza and on the form that Lewis is on and he's actually usually quite good around Monza as well uh, I, I think that he'll have the edge on Valtteri which means he goes to Mugello uh, that Ferrari owned track uh, trying to beat the record that Michael set when he was up Ferrari uh, it was you know up Ferrari that he got his 91st win so um, yeah it's all kind of coming together to see that again I, I, I think it's a, it's a foregone conclusion as I think the championship is uh, so that will also put Lewis on uh, seven world titles, which of course is, is, is matching Michael Schumacher's record. And uh, yeah, I think to be fair, Lewis is doing it in great style, isn't he? Like everything he's doing this year um, is, is top draw, and he's really kind of looked inside himself and found another level of performance, even though he didn't need to, you know, that, that he was good enough based on how he was performing last year, yet he's found another step. And that is a sign of uh, a real champion and, uh, and someone who deserves to be topping those. those all-time records and like I said at the end of the race he had said that he's you know 35 going on 36 but he feels better than ever and clearly that has definitely showed and that must be absolutely frustrating for all the other um, drivers to watch but not more frustrating than it still must be for Valtteri Bottas and I think we should insert this segment and call it the spare a thought for Valtteri Bottas segment because it seems like we've been having it ever since the very first weekend in Austria where everything was like yay Valtteri and ever since then it was like all right, let's spare a thought for Valtteri because and it's painful to watch, especially it was his birthday weekend, for goodness sake. You were hoping maybe some magic, you know, would be there. But what I notice is just how even more shot his confidence looks now, Lawrence. It, it, it's almost like it looks like there's, this is it. There's, there's probably no way back for him now, is there? Well, this is a question that I put to Toto Wolff um, on Saturday, actually, after qualifying. I said, you know, what is going on? Has Valtteri been broken by Lewis's recent performances? Uh, is that it? And uh, Toto tried to play it down. He said, no, you know, I've just been through the lap with Valtteri and he was sliding here and, you know, kind of lost a bit of time there and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, that that's on Valtteri. And the two cars were running the same setup. And yet we saw in the middle sector pretty much every lap, every time that Valtteri got that little bit closer by doing whatever he was doing, you know, there were times when he was nearly within a second of Lewis in this race. Uh, Lewis would just boss the middle sector, kind of all those high-speed corners, he'd find an extra kind of three or four attempts on Valtteri and that would make the difference and Valtteri would be back to square one. And you can imagine that. If you're in that car behind, you think, I'm gaining, I'm gaining, I'm gaining. And then, oh no, there's Lewis. He's pulled out that middle sector again and gone ahead. And it's just hit after hit after hit. And I don't care who you are, you know, that, that, that that's going to, that's going to play on your confidence, especially for a guy like Valtteri, who, you know, he's still chasing that first championship. Uh, he's on eight wins total compared to Lewis's 89, you know. So it's, he's got to find in himself a way that he really believes he can, can beat him. And he always says that. He always says that in interviews. When I did an interview with him quite recently, he said, I said, you know, what's your strength over Lewis? Like, we've seen you beat him. What, you know, how does that happen? Why does that happen? And he said it was his hunger. But I, I doubt that. I, I don't think he is more hungry than Lewis. If you look at the way Lewis turned up, uh, you know, in qualifying and that lap he put together and what it meant to him, you know, that that was hunger. That is real kind of, you know, desire to go out there and be the best. And while 
I've no doubt that that's what Valtteri wants to do as well. Mm. I just don't think it's that same fire burning inside. And um, yeah, how how do you go up and beat Lewis? I don't know. I mean, you know, the one guy who did it, Nico Rosberg, you could ask him. But I think you'll probably find that a lot of it comes down to a little bit of, you know, a few dirty tricks here and there. And that's not Valtteri's style. So without that, I, I just don't see how he's going to do it. And Lewis is in such a good place right now anyway. I think even if you put Nico Rosberg in that other car and he pulled out every dirty trick in his book, <laughs> he still wouldn't be able to put Lewis off his stride. <laughs> well, this was on, on that note, I mean, I know we were talking to Nate um, earlier on as well about this. And, and I mean, like I said, since this is Spare a Thought for Valtteri segment, it is, we are asking a mountain of him because you're asking him to essentially constantly compete week in, week out with probably soon to be the most successful Formula 1 driver we've seen ever um, win Lewis Hamilton. But... In terms of the dynamic and the team that, and Mercedes, what do you think they will be thinking? Because at one point, I know Nate had asked, you know, he said, oh, I'm tired of this. He said, bring back Rosberg. You know, that's the kind of um, duel he wants to see. And even, uh, but yet some probably praise the fact that it is so harmonious and not toxic like we saw with Lewis and Rosberg. But um, what do you think Mercedes is, is thinking of at, at this point, especially with um, Valtteri? I know he still had a new contract, but... Do you think they're probably wondering if how they can just get that much more out of him? Well, I, I think Mercedes is quite happy with the situation. And to be honest, I might just go back on what I said earlier about dirty tricks. It wasn't really dirty tricks. It was getting <laughs> under Lewis's skin mm. and creating yeah that uneasy atmosphere in the team. But it worked both ways. It wasn't just Nico. I'm sure Lewis you know, had, had his part to play as well. So maybe I was a bit unfair on Rosberg there. But what I was trying to say is that you need something to kind of get inside Lewis's head and, and he can't do that. But Mercedes will be delighted about that because they don't want to go back to the 2016 situation. You know, you talk to people who were in the team at the time and it was, it was a horrible situation. You know, they were turning up and their drivers, you know, they couldn't get them to do media appearances together properly. You know, uh, they, they would struggle to be in the same room. Uh, it made, you know, kind of briefings and stuff, you know, quite difficult uh, environments to be in. Uh, and then they went and clashed on track. And obviously that is the worst possible thing for a Formula One team. I don't, you know, I mean, as, as fans, you watch a collision. I'm thinking of Spain 2016. And it's quite exciting, isn't it? You know, it's all of a sudden it opened up the race to Max Verstappen who went and won his first race. But if you talk to the people who are in the team at the time, you know, that is absolutely devastating. All that hard work uh, just gone in a second. And it's down to the two guys uh, that you've trusted and you've basically given the best job in the team to. And you're obviously spending lots of money on as well and they're the ones responsible so um i think mercedes are, are, are delighted with what they've got um valtteri is on a one-year contract and i think that's all about uh keeping the option open obviously for next year and that option is most likely george russell uh who continues to look uh good obviously had an accident today but he does uh, continue to look very very good uh and i think yeah mercedes are just biding their time keeping that option open because also I guess the only other danger with Mercedes is that uh, if you put all your eggs in, in the Lewis basket, basket and he eventually walks away, uh, you know, what are you left with? So you need a contingency plan too. Uh, I guess that's the only concern for Mercedes right now, but that relationship is so harmonious. Uh, the contract isn't done yet for Lewis still, but it doesn't seem that anyone's that worried because I think everyone feels that he's going to sign for another three years or so. And, um, you know, and that's a decent amount of time in Formula One to keep your team stable. All right, well, I suppose we'll leave that Mercedes talk now because I'm pretty sure we'll be talking about them a whole lot in the next couple of weeks. Um, 
I guess let's touch on Max Verstappen now um, and Red Bull again. Like I said, another predictable podium there with Max. He did describe the race though as, of course, frustrating in the sense that you know it did become a race of tire management more so than um, anything else. Did you see anywhere where he could have probably gained some ground? I know it is frustrating for him too because he does say sometimes the car is just not there to go up against Mercedes, but he still has managed to get you know moments out of it as we have seen where he can take it to the Mercedes. But um, this time, what did you? think of his race i think he did everything he could um but it wasn't quite enough but yeah, he was very close to uh valtteri in qualifying um it's a shame he didn't get ahead of him into uh lecom on the first lap because i think that would have completely changed the dynamic of the race um but yeah it didn't happen and uh but you can't blame max if you look at where max is compared to his yeah. teammate he was about 30 seconds down the road so um that tells you everything about the job that max is doing right now and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can say much more on that mm -hmm. circuit. The Mercedes was pretty much unbeatable. And, um, you know, Red Bull, maybe they could have tried something a bit different. You know, we, we've seen that a lot with Red Bull where they just try something experimental. But there comes a point where sometimes you just got to accept third place is yours. And that's where it was. And the other difference this week was that the Renaults were so... The, you know, the, the Renaults were the anomaly. They were the ones that yeah. made the big step. So they filled that gap between Mercedes and Red Bull and the rest of the pack. And so that limited Verstappen on what he could do with strategy. There was no way to pit and just, you know, put on some fresh set of tyres and go because he could have got stuck behind the Renaults. And those Renaults were so quick in the straight line mm. that he would have struggled to get back past. So um, his options were limited. And I think given what he had, uh, he got the best he could from the car. And I, I suppose before we go into on to Renault now, I, I do have to naturally, as always, bring up Alex Albon on this one. And, and we keep wondering how we can get, you know, more out of him so much so that he could probably help Max Verstappen's case in going after, you know, the two Mercedes cars, because it does seem it doesn't seem we have seen how it literally is just him up there. And how much more would he benefit, you know, having Alex Albon to to be able to hang up there with the rest of the big dogs? And how can we see that or what's what's still just not falling into place, you think? Yeah, it's it, it's the ongoing question, and um, I've seen a number of interviews with Alex. Uh, I asked a question to him in Spain uh, on on that very subject. You know, where's it going missing compared to uh, to Max? And every time the answer basically just seems that he's he's not as comfortable in the car. Uh, mm. The Red Bull, well, it's a fast car. It's not as fast as Mercedes, but it is a fast car. But it's also quite unstable and. Uh, the thing that I think he's been impressed by is that Max can live with that instability uh, with the rear end kind of moving around a huge amount in high-speed corners. And uh, he always thought that that was one of his strengths mm. as a racing driver, you know, because obviously these guys go for junior categories. They have lots of different teammates. And he always felt that he was the driver who was able to hang on to a pretty wild car. And then he went up against Max and he realized, oh, OK, you know, there is another <laughs> level to that. But you got to remember Max, you know, that team does revolve around Max to some extent. And so the development of that car, if, if Max can live with that and it's quick, that's what the team will do. You know, they won't go backwards and try and, you know, knock off a bit of performance to make it more comfortable for Alex. You know, Alex just has to live with it as well. And I think that seems to be the crux of the issue there. And uh, that's going to be a hard one to solve. And I guess the only thing that will solve it is, is just time in the car and getting used to it and also developing that car, hopefully not only to make it faster, but to make it, make it more stable. So... Um, that's the tricky thing. And then today, uh, I was just saying about how Red Bull usually take a chance on strategy. They did something quite strange with, with Alex. Uh, when they all pitted under the safety car, they put Alex on medium tyres. Now, it was already a big ask to get hard tyres in the race, and they put Alex on mediums. So I'm still not sure why they did that. 
Um, and uh, even during the race, Christian Horner wasn't, uh, Sky Sports talked to him on the pit wall and he wasn't able to give a convincing answer. He basically said, well, you've got to try something different. But uh, in trying something different, they actually, I think, sacrificed a place to Esteban Ocon at the end, uh, which, um, okay, it's only a few points here or there. Red Bull are going to get second in the championship anyway. You might say, who cares? But I think for Alex's confidence, uh, it's another hit. And, uh, and that's exactly what he doesn't need. You know, if, if he'd, you know, what he needs is to be finishing at least behind Max, you know, in fourth place. And uh, yeah, today, because he had arguably a better weekend overall, but because the Renault were up there again, you know, it, it created some problems and he finished behind both Renaults at the end. All right, well, the same old names we do keep talking about, of course, and asking the same questions sometimes, it seems. But I suppose now let's have some love for Danny Ricardo because that's a name that I feel has been slipping under the radar, or the Renault cars actually have been slipping under the radar. Danny Ricardo so, so, so close to a podium today, but, you know, he was still in good spirits afterwards. Um, what did you think of his race today, of course, or just Renault overall, and, and is it something to get excited about now for the rest of the season where you think they could probably you know capitalize on well in the same way that spa exposed the weaknesses of the ferrari it kind of played to the strengths of the renault um i think it often goes uh goes under the radar that actually the renault is a very powerful engine and um, we got so used to seeing it struggling uh, at the start of this set of regulations in 2014 and it for so long it was in the back of the Red Bull and down on power compared to the Mercedes and then the Ferrari but actually you know they put in a, a lot of a lot of effort to get that engine more in the kind of area where it should be I don't think it's quite a match for the Mercedes but it's not far off and then that Renault seems to be quite an efficient uh, car in terms of aerodynamics it doesn't quite have the downforce that it needs to uh, challenge the likes of Red Bull and Mercedes at most tracks but at Spa, where efficient downforce is, is is essential, and that's where it seems Ferrari's really lacking, Renault has a strength. So I'm not convinced this is going to become the norm, that Renault will start to fill that gap between the midfield and uh, and the top two, but they did this weekend. And they did on a track as well where I think we all thought that the racing point was going to be quite quick. So that was impressive, and I think that bodes, again, very well for Monza, because Monza, you know, there's similar characteristics to uh, Spa, if not exactly the same. So I, I think they can look to bank some more points, and, um, and that's good, because that midfield battle um, is actually really quite exciting among mm -hmm. those teams, and there's a lot of money at stake between finishing sixth and finishing third, and those positions are, are up for grabs this year um, for racing point for McLaren, for Renault, and for Ferrari. And um, right now, Renault need to capitalise, as they did today, on the tracks that suit it. And uh, Mons will be enough on those. But yeah, great to see Daniel Ricciardo up there. And it really was a fantastic drive by Daniel. You know, I mean, it's so easy to forget that he's one of the top drivers in F1 just because he doesn't have the car anymore. But today he proved it. And um, it's just such a shame that he's not still at Red Bull or, you know, I was going to say going to Ferrari, but at the moment Ferrari is so far off that <laughs> that's not great. But, but even, you know, imagine him alongside Lewis. You know, I think that's a, that would be an incredibly uh, exciting partnership to have a guy who's, you know, that competitive and, and that racy alongside Lewis. But, um, yeah, sadly not going to happen. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's great to see him back up there, definitely. Definitely. And I think it gets us excited, I suppose, for, for next season when he's at, you know, McLaren and that dynamic that we'll probably see between him and, and Lando Norris. And Lando, again, someone else that always makes us smile. We're always looking out to see if he'll have a good day. Um, I didn't think he had a bad one today. What did you think, Lawrence? Yeah, pretty solid. Um, obviously harder to gauge with Lando because his teammate mm. Carlos Sainz didn't make the start of the race. 
there was a problem in the power unit that led to an exhaust issue and um, and that meant that he had to pit before he even got to the grid. So, uh, yeah, always hard to gauge a driver when they're the only one in that car. But um, I think the whole weekend he was struggling a little bit compared to Carlos. Um, and that has been the case since basically the last round in Spain as well. Uh, they found an issue on Carlos's car. They fixed it. And then all of a sudden he was much quicker in Spain. He was quick again in Spa, but just didn't get to prove it in the race. But, uh, but you know, let, let Lando put a decent race together. Um, but I think he does need to look at himself a little bit and figure out where Carlos is all of a sudden finding his pace from. And um, because, I, you know, it was maybe a little bit easy to get complacent after those really good results early on. Uh, but if you look at his season, there are elements of luck that are played in as well. So um, I, I think he'll look at that. But the great thing about Lando is that he's improving on, on you know, on, he's, well, he's young, basically. So he's got a, a lot of improvement to be found. And uh, I think that kind of rate of development is quite, it's quite steep. And so I still think, you know, there's a chance that even if Carlos is outperforming at the moment, he can get that back. He can find a way to, uh, to get back ahead of him this year. And I suppose even though we said that it wasn't um, that much of an exciting uh, race, so to speak, there was indeed an incident, though, and that was that um, crash. We're thankful that, of course, both drivers, Giovinazzi and um, George Russell, came out okay in that one. But what were your thoughts there? Do we get a bit more um, details as to exactly what happened? Because we know since it did knock them both out. Yeah, I, I haven't, um, I didn't see what Antonio Giovinazzi said. And obviously he was the one that triggered that accident. Mm -hmm. It just looked like he got wide uh, coming out of the Fania chicane. And once you're out there, um, there's not much runoff. Um, it's actually a track I really love to uh, run when I'm there. I wasn't there this weekend. I was in what a man. offices. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, seven kilometers of spa is, is challenging, uh, certainly for my level of, of, of running. Um, but it's the... One, you get an impression of, uh, of the undulation, of the um, you know, altitude change around the lap. And two, you get an impression for how much tighter some of those corners are than they look on TV. So somewhere like Pujon, which is now pretty much a flat out corner for Mercedes in qualifying, um, is actually way tighter than, than you think and then it looks on TV. And then the lack of runoff uh, in certain parts of that track is, is quite an eye opener as well. And especially around that Panya Chicane. So, it's, it's a reminder that these guys are actually on the limit all the time. And one tiny mistake, uh, despite the massive uh, tarmac runoff areas we now have at so many tracks, um, one tiny mistake can, can still be pretty devastating. Mm. Obviously, the concern in the accident was that we saw one of the wheels ripped off the Alfa Romeo, and that went into the path of George Russell, which caused him to crash as well. Um, that was very concerning. And George said afterwards that he feels both unlucky and lucky after that because... Had that wheel been pitched a little bit higher, had the uh, car not had a halo, which is the titanium structure you see over the driver's head to protect him, then that, you know, that could have been a horrible, horrible instance. So, um, yeah, George got a bit, a, a bit lucky to, uh, to get out of that one. And um, it just looked like driver error from, from Giovinazzi's uh, point of view. But I'll, I will double check and I'll update on the next podcast in case I'm wrong. <laughs> you, <laughs> That's you true. Never, you, you never you want know. to blame a driver too much, you know, just in case it was something that went wrong on the car. But to me, that looked like driver error. Yeah, well, I suppose the important thing is that they both definitely came out of that without a scratch. And we came out this weekend without a scratch, except for Nate, who's off fantasy footballing but i mean before we we decide to close out lawrence any any final thoughts um well i, I think the biggest talking point coming out of that weekend is ferrari is where we started mm. this podcast and and what happens next so that's uh that's where our focus is kind of 
this week going into especially Monza, you know, uh, the Italian Grand Prix and then their actual home race at Mugello as well. Um, so that pressure is only going to ramp up. Um, I think it's going to become a, a big talking point. Uh, pretty much Nate's question is, you know, what happens next? How do they get themselves out of it? Whether it be with Bonotto or without Bonotto, I'm sure everyone's got an opinion on, on, on that. But either way, the end result has to be that that team goes back to where it should be. And if you look at the budget of that team, if you look at the history of that team, it should be at the very top. You know, they have no excuses yeah. and, uh, and they're not. So for me, that was the biggest takeaway from, from this weekend. Uh, but also, you know, looking forward to Monza. Um, I'm... I'm kind of hopeful. We've had a few dull races recently that we're due a good one. <laughs> and uh, and Monza, like, I, you know, in the past, I remember when I was kind of a bit younger in the mid-2000s, it actually never really threw up good racing. But in more recent years, I actually think it's been quite good. And also always seeing those cars completely stripped to downforce. Well, not completely, but as much as they can uh, in terms of, uh, you know, relative in Formula 1 is exciting because the cars are twitchy they're on the edge and then they're hitting speeds of about 220 miles per hour at the end of that straight and that's exciting to watch no matter what so um yeah that's what i'm getting excited about this week Oh, you got me excited too. And of course, as usual, I'm sure there's going to be more details that will come out um, in some news stories in the next coming days. We will definitely tackle all of those when we do our midweek podcast and we'll have a more detailed preview of Monza and probably the next two um, weekends that we're expecting in Italy. I know we're quite excited. Nate's going to probably bring up some stuff about his Italian heritage. So that's always exciting. But um, absolute pleasure as always, Lawrence. And we thank Nate for blessing us at least with his voice and his voice note and his like mini rant about, you know, probably getting rid of Mattia Benato. We'll see exactly indeed what happens. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in and make sure to join us again midweek when we look ahead to Monza. Bye for now. <laughs>